and welcome to the very first episode of Flesh and Gold. I'm your host, Jen Beatty. Flesh and Gold was an idea that I had for a podcast during the summer of 2014. I wanted to create a platform to tell the stories of the extraordinary people that have touched my life, people that I'm sure will touch your lives too, people that you will fall in love with. My first guest is the beautiful, funny, and ever-generous Meredith Carroll. I first met Meredith exactly 14 years ago this spring. She was still a teenager, and I was 24 and pregnant with my first son. Meredith's path crossed mine through our mutual friend Cindy, and the years we spent together in Tallahassee included laughter, a few set of tears, and even the training and completion of our first half marathon, the Vera Bradley, in Seaside, Florida. When I was pulling out pictures of Meredith from my stash to present on the blog, I came across one of her in a red shirt, her arms raised above her head in victory as she crossed that 13.1 mile finish line. That is who Meredith is, a finisher, a person of perseverance, and a woman of faith. It has been said that Meredith would give you the shirt off her back. Her story is amazing, her heart is humongous, and I hope you all know that she was purposely chosen among the multitude of incredible women that I know to be my first flesh and gold guest ever because she so accurately represents this to me, a woman whose life has cultivated gold through the fire. So without further ado, Meredith, welcome to the show. Oh, Jen, good grief. Every time I hear that, it's, <laughs> uh, I tell you, it doesn't sound like me, but I would definitely listen to that over and over again. I, I don't know. That was good. Thank you so much, Jen. <laughs> you are so welcome. Uh, well, I called Meredith. I'll have to write my obituary. I'll have to write my obituary. Oh, stop too. it. I'm going to, I'm going to go first. I'm way older. <laughs> okay, so I first called Meredith back in December when I decided that, yes, I was going to do this. And I asked her, and so we have just been in and out of contact for the last four or five months, four months. And what makes Meredith, what makes your story so powerful is, you know, I, I was privileged just not only to know you for the last handful of years, but also as we spent time mapping out your story just to see that in so many ways it looked like all the odds were against you to make it, to have peace, to have um, just the joy and the power and the continual hope that you have. And so that's what I love about your story. That's even, I think, what led me to cho- choose you is just what you overcame with the, with the Lord's help to get to where you are. So let's just, Mayor, take it back a little bit to the beginning. You're, you're born and raised. Um, tell me a little bit about your childhood from the start. Well, I, I you know, I had you know, parents, and I had a little brother, and um, I think at around age six, my parents did get a divorce, Um, and really, I think a lot of what caused that, there was, you know, my parents were, were, um, they were alcoholics, you know, Um, I didn't understand really at the time why everything was so chaotic. Um, I didn't, you know, my, my mom didn't, you know, they tried to do a great job. It wasn't like I was living on the streets, you know, they were doing the best that they can, like most parents, you know, things weren't perfect, but there was an added level of, of, of chaos and stress for me because there was, there was alcoholism in our home. Um, and it was, it was, you know, hard to navigate as a child. Um, and I just, I didn't really have a sense of stability. Um, and it was, I, I don't know, maybe looking back, maybe I didn't, get as much maybe attention or something that I was looking for I'm not really sure because it was just everybody was just kind of 
trying to do the best they could um, in a in a hard situation. Um, so after my parents got divorced, my dad um, met my stepmother, and they're still together today. You know, it was it was it was hard. My dad moved when I was ten. My mom was a single mom. She you know worked a lot to provide. Um, my mom was you know, a, a good person, um, but she also had her own stresses and her own strains in her own life from trying to deal with so many things, trying to raise children, trying to work, um, and it, it, it's tough. It's just tough. It's not an ideal situation. So, um, I, I think that from my mom working so hard and then, you know, coming home and sometimes wanting some time to herself, I think that looking back, I was always probably slightly almost annoying because I would, you know, hide under tables to be, you know, listen to her conversations and that sort of thing. I was just kind of, you know, I was, I was wanting that attention. I was wanting that one-on-one -on -one time with my mom and she was outgoing and well-liked and, you know, everybody else wanted her time and attention too. So I think that I probably was just, I was just a little lacking then, then in that I wanted a little bit more of her. And it was it was hard. Yeah. So I asked um, I asked you what were some of the messages last night when we were talking. What were some of the messages that you said kind of embedded themselves in your heart as far as who you were and um, around this developmental age? So by the time you know maybe right before middle school, what are or through middle school, what are some of the messages that you began to believe or or the patterns that you began to operate in, kind of because of this. Yeah, I mean, I believe that one of the things is that um, the world is, is it's unstable. It's not safe. Um, I went, you know, back and forth, and each home, you, you know, your, your mom's house and your dad's house, they're different. They're doing things in a different way. Um, and so there was just not a lot of consistency. And I think for a child, it's important to know what to expect, to, to understand that, you know, this is kind of our flow. This is our, our family pattern. And it just really wasn't ever like that. And when you grow up in a family where there's alcoholism, you know, sometimes dinner, you know, could be really late. Or, you know, sometimes maybe it was a good day and maybe you had dinner earlier. And there was just, there was, you know, maybe there was fighting even. Uh, you know, maybe there was, um, you know, it just, it just, you never knew what to expect from day to day. And I think that um, at least, it leaves a child with a sense of just, it is, it, it builds a little bit of fear when you, when things aren't consistent and you don't know what to expect. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to around ninth grade and up. Um, you, you were telling me that you sort of developed some codependent patterns. And if anyone knows Meredith, she she's going to love you right yeah she'll she'll be the person to just take anyone off the street and love them so there's already just that natural bent in you mare to just be responsible for people and and care for them but when you come from kind of the chaos that you did why don't you talk a little bit about some of just the lack of boundaries or the codependent behaviors that you were saying led to this that that sort of brought this about well, it definitely, I mean, I would do things that I knew other people didn't really do that were my age, but I didn't really see anything wrong with it. Like, for instance, if I saw somebody homeless on the street, I would go up and get them something to eat and bring it back to them. Now, that's nice and that's good and all, but I, I developed at a really young age just this 
false sense of responsibility of, you know, wanting to care for people and wanting to take care of them and wanting everything to be okay. You know, I wanted everything to be okay with my parents. I wanted everything to be okay in my world. And so I, you know, and I wanted everybody to be happy. Um, and so it starts to develop in you, um, you know, a need to want to take care of everybody at the expense of myself, really. And, um, and also through doing that, I realized I would get some, a, a, a reaction from people or I would, you know, people would love me or they would think good of me. And so my heart wasn't necessarily to get people to like me or to, you know, give me that attention, but I think that that's what it started to develop in me. So there was a little bit of both. I wanted to take care of people, but then I was doing it at the expense of myself, but I was willing to do it because I was getting this reaction from people. And I, you know, very early I, I started having, you know, I had my first boyfriend and starting getting, getting involved with him and started having a sexual relationship. And, um, you know, I would say, you know, a, a few years after we met, um, I, you know, I was, I was very promiscuous. I, you know, got pregnant and I realized, well, I'm pregnant and I can't take care of this baby at 16. So I've got to take care of this problem. Even though deep down, I mean, I, I wanted my child. I wanted to be a mom, but I just knew that I couldn't. And so, you know, I had my first abortion at 16. Then, you know, all of a sudden I realized six months later, here I am from a promiscuous lifestyle. Here I am again. I'm in the same position again and got pregnant again and, you know, ended up having my second abortion. And this really, it, it just started a long line of just, not a long line, but it started off a several year period of extreme chaos, you know, um, still, you know, out party lifestyle in the club, you know, promiscuous. I was dropped, I dropped out of school at this point. I was in second chance school, which led me to a whole nother group of friends that really, you know, weren't going, weren't, weren't pursuing, you know, they're pursuing the world and things that are fun at the time. So of course I join in on that. Um, you know, because this will make yeah. me happy, and it was. I mean, it was just a lot of, of drinking, a lot of drugs, and it it started spiraling out of control. And about you know, 17 years old, um, I just I remember so vividly, just you know, I I had a job, and outwardly I looked fine. Um, you know, I looked like the quote unquote, you know, I, I was preppy, and you know, I did my hair, and I had a nice car, and I was working and I had gone to cosmetology school and you know had a good job and those sort of things and so outwardly I looked okay but inwardly I was just lost lost absolutely lost and I think that um, that's kind of what what ended up why you know I ended up you know on a on a drug fuel binge I guess you could say and I woke up I, I didn't wake up actually I've been awake for three or four days and I'm, I'm ironing shirts and just like a crazy person um, you know three or four in the morning after being up you know days and days and it I went outside and I just I just remember sitting there for hours on this you know front step smoking a cigarette lost lonely my heart was beating so hard but so slow and I thought to myself I'm gonna die I'm gonna die um, if I don't get some help um, and I, I called my mom up right away got her on the phone and it was you know 
just so early in the morning. And she said, what do you want me to do about it? I said, I need help. And she said, what do you want me to do about it, Meredith? And I could sense in her tone that she was just like over it, kind of. And at that moment, I remember feeling really rejected by her. But looking back, and I, and I did, I mean, I just hung up the phone because I just felt rejected and I felt like, wow, you know, what a jerk, you know, I'm, I'm telling her I need help and she's not even helping. And looking back though now, I know that I was just so selfish, so self-absorbed that probably for several years, you know, my mom had been trying mm-hmm. to help me, you know, people had tried to reach out mm-hmm. to me and I was you know, I was dragging everybody down with my bad choices and not realizing it, how much heartbreak I was causing everybody. And so her reaction was a reaction of just, she didn't know what to do anymore. Um, And it was, it was, it was a wake up call, but that was kind of the start. I ended up, I did end up going to the, being in the psychiatric center at that point and trying to do some, I was in the detox as well a few times and, and just trying to, um, I was lost. I needed to find, needed to find my way. And, and even then that still wasn't like the end all be all, but it was the start of something where I was yeah. open. So what's interesting is that you ended up dropping out of high school, getting your GED, and then you went to hair school. A cosmetology school and that's where you met our friend Cindy and kind of right after that is when I met you so why don't you tell me a little bit about um, this season of your life cosmetology school meeting Cindy and and from there okay well I remember I, I you know I started working in this salon it was a great salon and um, you know I was just trying to pull it together you know try to you know just you know, get a job and do the next right thing, but still knowing kind of like, ugh, I'm still just really struggling here. And I, I get to the salon and I come into contact with a lady named Cindy and I, you know, didn't immediately like her. She was a, a Christian and she stood for good values and, you know, good morals. And I'm like, good time Charlie here. So I'm not really feeling her too much, you know. And, um, you know, she would talk to me a little bit, but obviously we were just in completely different places in our lives. And um, I remember her on a couple of different, you know, occasions kind of mentioning something to me about God or going to church or something like that. But, you know, I wasn't, wasn't too terribly interested. Um, and after, after a while, I still just continued to kind of slide backwards. But after one of the times that I had, you know, I, was out of, I got out of the detox center and I went back to work, and I just realized, wow, I am so empty. I was just, I was empty, and I was just lost, and I just had no idea what I was supposed to be doing yeah. with my life. Um, I was just overwhelmed. And I, I, I got back from the detox center. I'm downstairs folding the towels, and here comes Cindy, who they used to call, you know, her her husband, Cindy and Travis, they, another person at the salon used to call them uh, Joseph and Mary. You know, oh, you're going to, you know, you know, Joseph and Mary. So here comes Cindy, you know, the good Christian, and I'm folding towels, and I see her from across the room, and she says, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. And I started to cry, 
which was kind of, that was strange for me. I wasn't a crier. Um, I was pretty rough and tough at this point. And she started to get tears in her eyes. And I remember her asking me, Meredith, is it okay if I just come a little bit closer? Can I give you a hug? Yeah. And I said, you know, I shook my head. Yes. And so she came closer. And it was so uncomfortable for me to receive yeah. that. Um, and to admit that I was, I was weak. I'm at the end of myself here. I can't hold this together. I don't know what's going on here. I'm lost. Yeah. So you ended up living with Cindy and Travis, not too long after that. So you want to just share a little bit about how that came to be? And I did. Well, I, I remember her that day saying, you know, maybe you just need to kind of unplug from everything. Why don't you come out and just stay the night at my house and just kind of recuperate, try to just, just be still and get some rest. And I thought, and I said, okay. And I thought to myself, this is the weirdest thing. I can't even believe I'm agreeing to this. It's so weird. Yeah. But I, I agreed to it. And I remember following her out to her house and they live, you know, kind of way out in the country. And I thought, oh, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm coming <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to get killed. These people are going to be crazy. Oh my goodness. And I'm following her. And all I kept thinking with every passing mile is, you know, you know, she probably lives 10, 15 minutes out of town. Yeah, easily. And easily. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. And it's, you know, like, this is not what I signed up for. This is crazy. But there was something in me that just kept driving, kept moving, and, you know, kept going with this crazy, you know, thing that was going on. And I thought to myself, well, I've done a whole lot crazier, and I've been in a whole lot worse situations. I think I might be able to make it through this one. I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> And I, I, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. Um, I, I got out there and spent the night with, with them and talked with them. And I did. I mean, I felt a sense of peace. And she talked to me a lot about Jesus. And she talked to me a lot about, you know, I, I she, you know, just shared a lot of my story with her. And she, you know, just said, you know, you don't have to live with the guilt and the shame and you don't have to, you are not those things that you did. And that is why Jesus died on the cross. And it doesn't matter how many good things you do. It doesn't matter what you do. You can't, you can't earn it. It's just, it's, it's a free gift. Jesus is a, is a gift to you. And it's just out of grace and out of love. And, you know, it, it, it did. It, 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 it really resonated with me like, oh, okay. I'm not all these things that I've done. And I think that's really hard sometimes to separate yourself um, because you become all of the things that you do. And so I was this person that I had done all these terrible, bad things. Um, and so the next day we went on a walk around her property and she said, do you want to pray? Do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and um, allow him to just to, to work through you and allow him to just bring me that peace and that you've never had. And I was, you know, absolutely on board for that. And so at that time we prayed and I brought a lot of those things to the Lord that I just brought me a lot of shame. You know, the abortions, being promiscuous, um, you know, being a liar, being, you know, just, just all of the, the things that I had done over my life that, that I carried such a heavy burden for. I was just burdened and, and you know, uh, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's, you know, that that's just a few things that I've named. And I was able to just 
release those things during that time of her praying and just release those things to the Lord and uh, have faith that, you know, this is, this is the way I needed to walk. This is the way I needed to go. So that started that process. And I remember thinking, well, this wasn't so bad. I think, you know, I think I might stay here again tonight. And that was, you know, Saturday night, I think. So I ended up staying again that night and I thought, oh, this is, this is, this is interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I did. I, you know, went back to where I was living in my, you know, terrible neighborhood that next, that third night. And, um, the next morning I woke up and, Here's my beautiful nice car that I've keeping up appearances with and the whole steering column's ripped out. Everything's stolen out of it. And I remember thinking, super, um, you know, let me call work and let them know the police are coming and I'll be in a little bit later. And when I did, Cindy got on the phone and she said, pack your bags. Um, we want you to come live with us. Me and my husband have prayed about it and we know without a shadow of a doubt that we're supposed to, to have you live with us and be with us. And I was and I said, I don't know about that, but we'll we'll talk some more about it. I don't think you really know what you're offering. <laughs> you, don't, you don't you don't really know what I'm like on a daily basis. I mean, you know, we did that walking, praying thing, you know, and all that. So I said, but you know, I'm still a little bit rough around the edges. So I really, though, it was just a self preservation. It was just me trying to guard myself against them rejecting me once they really realized just how messed up I was and just how many problems I had. I thought, when they get to know me, they are certainly not going to want me to live with them. So we're going to take this process kind of slow. <laughs> That's so powerful. So yeah, I remember you saying that that walk around the property is what really, what you look back on and say, that is when I really just surrendered my life to Christ and became a Christian. But what I love about your story is that it it still was process. It was still process. And I know you talked about, um, you know, just your need for attention. and But some of those lack of boundaries, the opposite of that is just you really struggled, I think, um, you were saying, with just impulsive behaviors and, and not knowing how to even set boundaries at that point in your life as you're being sort of, you know, transitioning into an adult. So Definitely. so let's talk a little bit about the process. Um of what it truly was like to live with Cindy and Travis in the beginning. And I want you to maybe share the story of the post-it note. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I did, we, we ended up, um, I, I ended up moving out there with them and, um, I was, you know, I remember telling Cindy, I was like, I was a fish out of water. Here I was, I was, you know, do what I want when I want, you know, party, have a good time stuffing things down, covering things up, um, and here I am, I'm out here with these these people that really I don't know, but they're really consistent, and they are really loving, and they have really good boundaries, and they, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough process, though, I was a fish out of water, it was, you know, I was thrown into this new world, and I was trying to be kind of like, what I knew I should be, but I was struggling because what I had been was, you know, a lot. And I'm, I'm trying, so I, I, I just started trying to, you know, do what I thought that they wanted and kind of like start modifying behaviors. Um, and, you know, but I, I, I was failing. I was, I was still failing at that process. Um, I was still, you know, staying out late more than I should. I was still every once in a while, you know, say, you know, I, I, I really need to check out here. So I, you know, 
drink some or, you know, do just do still do those things that I knew to do to numb out. And every time that I did, though, I would think to myself, once they find out about this, once I tell them about this, or once somebody else does, I know that I'm not going to be welcome here anymore. This isn't this isn't going to work out with yeah. And so everything that I did, I mean, even my attitude, I mean, my attitude was just horrible, um, you know, a lot of times. I, w- I was very loving a lot of the times, I'm sure, and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I had a chip on my shoulder and I had an attitude and, and you know, wrong thinking. And so I thought for sure all the time that at some point, you know, this, this little deal isn't going to work yeah. out. But I was, I was, you know, I was authentic and I was, I was honest with them. Um, and because I didn't want to be that way, but sometimes I just didn't know how to be any other way. But they kept loving me and they kept being consistent and they kept confronting me. And when I was confronted, I, even if I didn't totally agree, I still sat and I mulled over what they were, would say yeah. and I would think about it and process it. Um, because I think, well, maybe they are right, and this other stuff hasn't really worked out for me, so I might try it their way. And over time, I just remember one day being in my room and thinking, wow, they haven't left me. They've seen all this yucky in me, and um, I can't believe I haven't totally pushed them away. So I, I got a little post-it note, and I you know, basically wrote on there, I've done everything that I can to push you away, and you're still here and you still love me and I love you for it and woof I tell you um it's probably a word they needed to hear (laughs) I'm I'm sure it was because that post-it note I do believe it was on the bathroom mirror for a long time I believe that it was up there so long that the condensation actually shriveled that thing to nothing but I I I bet that they clung on to that note probably for dear life if I can only look back and imagine what I was like (laughs) So it was, um, it was, it was just, it was amazing. They were unconditionally loving when they didn't have to be. They weren't stuck to me by, they weren't blood family members. They weren't, you know, they didn't have to do it and they did. And it, uh, it really set the stage for my life of feeling unconditionally loved no matter what. Yeah. And you had mentioned that the consistency of them waking up every morning, going to their jobs, coming home, having meals together, that it really began teaching you how to actually set your own boundaries, not for your own life, but also for future relationships. I mean, it did. I mean, there, there's something to be said for people, though, that their their mood is always the same. And I, I think that when you deal with people um, that, are, that are struggling with alcoholism or drug addiction and all of these things, you don't know what to expect. So you're always kind of on guard, like, who am I going to get today? And, you know, how am I going to relate to this person today? So you start kind of being a little bit of a chameleon. You start, you know, doing these, you start, you know, these these weird things get ingrained in you. So here I am in a situation where they're, you know, consistent. They're normal. I know that their personality doesn't change. Of course, they, you know, we all get upset. We're all human. We all have, you know, not perfect days. But for the most part, you know, they they were perfect as far as I was concerned. You know, they... I knew they were going to be home. I knew if I called their phone, they were going to answer. And um, and it, it did. It started just, it allowed me to start looking at myself more because I didn't have to worry about what was going on in my immediate world. I could really focus on, on God and what he was doing in my life. Yeah, that's so good. 
Um, so I want you to tell me a little bit about Joel, who's your husband now, and what are some of the first things that attracted you to him when you met him? And what when did you meet him? At what age about? Um, let's see. I was about 23 or 24 when I met Joel. Probably, probably 24, okay. 23. Back when I met Joel, he was working for Travis, who I was living with, and um, I remember that he told me there was a guy that was working for him on his crew, and he was a Christian, and he kind of gave me Joel's background, which was, you know, Joel had dealt with um, with addiction issues, alcoholism, and, 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 and drugs, and that sort of thing, and he, you know, got saved, and he was, you know, in love with the Lord, and he had, he had been sober for, for years, for quite a few years, and he said, this guy, you know, he's He's just so consistent. He, you know, is a hard worker. Um, you know, he prays at lunch. He'll pray with the guys at lunch, and you know, it was something, you know, along those lines of, of just him being a, you know, a, a, a good solid Christian guy, and kind of like, oh, you never know, you know. So when I, I remember seeing Joel at some point, I don't remember, and I thought, oh, he's, you know, he's really good looking, and you know, as we kept getting pushed together by the guys on the crew and whatnot. Um, I said, well, if he likes me, he'll give me a call. And he, he ended up calling me. So um, we, we talked on the phone a long time. Joel was very consistent. Joel is a, very, is, is a person that, um, he, he was the gentleman type. You know, he's, he's opening doors. He's getting things for us. He, he even carried a hanky, for crying out loud. He was just, you know, he was just so old-fashioned, it seemed like to me, and um, just seemed very consistent. And I was very drawn to that. Um, I could tell that he loved the Lord, and so we kind of continued our relationship. We went to church a lot, and, um, you know, it was, it seemed like a great situation, but about, I don't know, we have been together for quite a while, maybe I'm guessing six months, and, or maybe a little longer, even, um, and Joel just didn't show up to work one day. And so I found out from Travis he didn't show up to work, which was completely uncharacteristic of him. He, you know, was always at work. Um, and I found out that he had he had gone out and, you know, he had gotten drunk and he, you know, had partaken in some drugs. And I, you know, was floored because here I am in this situation that I think is so good. And all of a sudden, what's going on? And I was... You know, I was confused, and but also within me, I dealt with the same things, and I've seen this stuff my whole life, and I know that, you know, one slip-up doesn't make the whole person, and, you know, maybe that was just a slip-up, but I think looking back, it just started to plant those seeds of doubt in me, and it started to make me insecure and unsure and um, untrusting, but I was forging ahead, and, you know, he assured me we were done with that. You know, that was a total slip-up, and, you know, he told me everything that happened, and I thought, okay, that's behind us. We're moving on. And, you know, that, looking back, that was the wrong response, but that, you know, that's where we were at, and um, we forged ahead, and, and it wasn't too long after that we, um, well, it was a little while after. We ended up getting engaged. Yeah, and you said, you said, so that was the first flag, and looking back, the second flag was a conversation you had with Travis. I did. I remember riding in the in the car with Travis after all this had happened. And looking back, had I known, I just, I just, I would stuff what I knew the Holy Spirit was telling me. I would stuff it down, and I made excuses, and 
I thought to myself, no, that can't really be it. I'm just feeling this way because of this. And really, it's that I wanted to get married. I wanted to have this family. I wanted to, um, and here's this guy, you know, he goes to church. He loves the Lord. He's, you know, I'm attracted to him. This is, you know, he, he wants to marry me. He's crazy about me. And, you know, this was just one mistake. And this isn't, you know, going to happen ever again, relapse. right? Relapse. Yeah. yeah, the relapse. And I'm thinking this is never going to happen again. So we got to move forward. But I asked Travis in the car one day. I said, Travis, do you think that I should continue in this relationship with Joel? And he, I remember, you know, was taking some breaths, you know, deep breaths. And, oh, you know, and he was kind of quiet and looked around for a minute and I could tell he was really thinking it through because it was tough you know we were in a very serious relationship and Travis said sweetie I just don't think I would go forward with this anymore and at that moment and I went really you know and it and then immediately in my mind it popped into my mind well he doesn't really understand this type of thing you know, this is a one-time thing. This is not going to happen again. And, you know, I'm not going to ruin this one chance to get married and have kids and have this great, perfect life over one thing. You know, Travis just doesn't really understand, you know. But that would be something that I would look back on for many, many years um, because I went against what I was kind of feeling inside, like I went against what Travis told yeah. me to do, and he loved me, and he was looking at things from a different angle, and I was forging ahead with what I wanted to do, because what he said at that time really didn't fit into my model of what my kind of perfect life was going to be like, and so I didn't really want to listen to that too much, so. Yeah, so you guys end up getting married, and within... <laughs> what was it, six years, five years, you have four beautiful girls who are now six, five, three, and one. And um, talk to me a little bit, just just kind of briefly share, 18 months, was it after your first pregnancy? Um, he had another relapse or? Well, what it, what it was is I, I actually, we got pregnant. We, you know, we, we had this you know, we got married, you know, we did everything by the book. So, you know, we hadn't, you know, had a physical relationship yet. We were saving ourselves for marriage. Um, you know, we were, you know, doing everything that kind of you could think. And I was just ignoring other red flags. Here we all were married. We get married. We buy a house. We just start taking on all this responsibility. And it was, you know, life was going really fast. I started school. Joel started school. I was working full time new house, new marriage, and, you know, six months later, I'm pregnant, but we have all of life's responsibilities now weighing on us, and we were excited, but, of course, very nervous, and we didn't know how things were going to look, so um, I, you know, remember being nine months pregnant, and my mom was having her own health issues um, related to alcoholism, and she was very, she was, you know, struggling, so my heart was very heavy for my mom, and um, it, it was it was just a very chaotic and hard time because marriage and even in the first year I mean we didn't live together or anything so we're still getting to know everything about each other and then we have a baby and it you know is wonderful we are over the moon with her we're so in love with her and seeing how Joel is with her and he's so wonderful with her and he's up all night holding her you know he was 
you know, doing what I thought he should do. But right before she was born, I remember I was about nine months pregnant and I had to go pick him up out of, you know, he called me incoherent. I go up to the bar and, you know, there he is up there and he is completely wasted. And I thought to myself, we got a problem here, Houston. This is not even normal. You know, this is not okay. And so I was terrified. I began getting very fearful, very scared. This guy, I don't, he can't take care of me. He, I can see right now, he can't even take care of himself. And I would say probably within a week or two after having Lindley, I could tell he was trying to escape. He'd go back to the bar. He would, you know, I'm sure there was probably some drug use back then. I don't, you know, I wasn't really sure because here I was trying to keep all these plates up in the air, trying to keep everything moving and create this perfect life the way it's supposed to be and just kind of sweeping everything else under the rug. Yeah, so over the next few years then, why don't you um, maybe just fast forward so you guys have more children and then um, tell me how it, you just said it kind of felt like a freight train, like life began, became a freight train during the season. Well, I mean, right after we had our first daughter, we were over the moon, but here I was, I think probably about two or three months after I, probably two months after I had Lindley, all of a sudden, here I was pregnant again. So I've got this brand new first baby, I'm pregnant again. So Lindley and Catherine are about 12 months apart. And so then within a very short period of time, we have two children. And then I think, oh my goodness, I want to be at home with my children. And so we, you know, we're moving out of my house. We make this quick decision. We're going to move in with Joel's parents for a season. We're going to sell our house. Joel's going to keep going to school. I'm going to keep going to school. We're just, you know, it, life is moving fast. And I am just trying to tread water. Um, and it's so busy that I have really no sense of peace. I'm just completely reacting at every moment, just trying to get by, trying to survive. And we, you know, move in with Joel's parents. And it wasn't too long after that. You know, boom, we're pregnant again. It was, you know, a birth control recall. We're pregnant again. And I didn't find out until I was about 15 weeks. So that's a whole nother thing. Now we've got three children. And, you know, through this time of, you know, having, you know, one to three children, we had moved from, you know, our house to try to sell it to my in-laws. And then when we got pregnant again, we moved back out there. So we're back out there. And we're back out in our house trying to make it. Joel, at this point, you know, he's kind of, He's disappearing for hours at a time. I'm noticing money's getting drained out of the account. We're fighting. It's terrible. I'm really pregnant again. I am just running on absolute fumes. I'm just, um, I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. I'm lost. And I'm angry that I did everything I was supposed to do. Why do I, why is it like this? You know, I, this is not the way it's supposed mm -hmm. to be. And I'm realizing I don't really have much control over this situation at this point. And I'm starting to get angry because I can't control this. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing now. And I vividly remember just kind of hitting this breaking point, you know, probably eight months pregnant with my third child. I'm out, you know, in my, in my perfect home, you know, I'm out in my house and everything's supposed to be good. And I go to get some silver out of my, my chest in the, you know, kind of in the, the storage area and I'm realizing that it's just stainless steel where my silver is supposed to be you know I have different family heirlooms and lots of family stuff and and I confront him and I say you know what's going on here what is this why do you have the silverware in where the silver should be where's the silver and 
you know, he tells me he, he, he pawned it, he sold it. I absolutely just lost it at that point. I just had a complete breakdown, a complete meltdown. And it, it was, it was, it was rough. I said, that's it. Um, you know, we lived kind of far out of town. I said, that's it. We're moving back into town. I'm renting this house out. I'm not going to be around this. But, you know, he moves into town with us. You know, I, I move into this great neighborhood, you know, into this nice place in town. And, you know, still, you know, I'm going to create this perfect scenario with my kids. And, you know, we're going to, you know, forge forward. And he's going to wake up soon enough. You know, he'll change soon enough. Mm-hmm. You know, just we just got to keep forging ahead until he changes. And, you know, my husband's an engineer, an engineering student. He's only got two more semesters to go. So, you know, he, he's just going to finish up these two semesters and we're just going to keep on going, you know, and, and everything eventually will be okay. But it didn't. It got much worse. I was just so busy in denial and forging ahead with what I was doing. I didn't really have time to deal with that too much, really. I mean, it just it, it, it had just become completely unmanageable at this point. And I was busy. So this is, so this is about the season that you sort of, drew a line in the sand and um shortly after this joel went to a facility to really it was a rehabilitation facility correct yeah it was a christian it's called a christian regeneration program at Dunklin down in in um, indian town florida okeechobee area you know fast forward to the time when i just had had enough i had just had my fourth child and i said that's this is it you know you can use my phone to call a rehab facility. You can use the phone to call a homeless shelter. I just cannot, I could not physically do it anymore. It had taken such, just years and years of stress had just taken, taken such a toll on my body physically. Um, and it was, it was just my breaking point. I mean, I was completely on board with it. I thought this is it because we, this works, this this program is, is geared for the entire family. We're going to learn how to be a unit. We're going to be able to walk through those things together and have counseling. And the children, you know, the children are going to have the ministry they need and or the care they need. And so it, it sounded absolutely perfect. And I just knew this was it. This was the answer. What we're going to do right now is um, I want to talk really for our listeners, Joel actually did attend and almost completed the process, but he actually, what did you say, was released early basically because he had chosen to stop receiving. So as of right now, Joel is, just give me a brief description of where he is in life right now. I mean, it was. I mean, he came home and I was I was hopeful. I was nervous because I thought, you know, not graduating, not crossing that finish line, that's not a good thing. Um, I knew that that was not ideal. That's not what the Lord wanted. But I could tell that the Lord definitely wanted me there. And through that process, I was changing so much. And it felt like the missing piece of my life. And I thought to myself so many times, I don't know if he's really getting this, but I'm really getting this. And this is, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I did. I loaded those kids up every, you know, every weekend. I don't, I don't think I missed any. Um, maybe one, I don't know, but it was, you know, and probably not even by my choice. I mean, I was desperate to be down there. I loaded those kids up and on Friday, drove, you know, seven hours down there and I was happy to do it because I, it, it was just such a phenomenal experience for me and what the Lord was doing in me. And I did see changes in Joel, but I did think that some of it was, you know, just a lot of behavior modification. 
and I didn't see him really submitting. And I was, you know, I had a lot of red flags, but I, I wanted to continue the process because I wanted to continue to get out of it what I needed. And um, I, I realized, um, you know, once we had gone through the marriage counseling, and yes, I did see, you know, some changes and stuff, but didn't really know. And I just had to trust the Lord and go, okay, I don't know if he's where he's supposed to be or where, you know, where we're supposed to be, but I'm just going to continue down this process. And when he was released, I mean, it was, he was glad and I was devastated. It was, you know, absolutely heartbreaking for me because I had built these relationships and I was, you know, invested in this process and I was completely um, just devastated. But he came home and, you know, he assured me he knew what to do and he was going to do it. And it, you know, it just started fizzling out pretty quickly. I would say within a couple of weeks, I started noticing the attitudes were there. Um, you know, he wasn't really meeting with the Lord, and I was I was starting to get nervous. But what I started to do through that process was use the tools that I had received at Dunklin and use, you know, you know, started using 15 years of just banking scripture, you know, putting scripture in my mind, in my heart, and started to really press into my relationship with the Lord because at this point I'm realizing this isn't good. You know, he's pretty much where he was before Dunklin, if not a little bit worse, probably getting worse. And all I have now is the Lord. And I left that program. That was a program for Joel, but it was for me. And I remember thinking when I left, my hope and my security is not going to be in my husband's, you know, my in my husband's sobriety. I have got to have a relationship that you know, with the Lord myself so that I can make it through life no matter what choices he makes or no matter how this turns out, I know that I'm going to be okay if I just stay close to the Lord. So when he got home and things started unraveling, yes, that was that's not the ideal situation, but it produced in me something that I would never be able to have had I not gone through that situation because it's been completely invaluable and it's the first time that I have truly surrendered, you know, my will, my wants, my perceptions of how things should be, my expectations of how my life should look, you know, to myself and to others. I had to let all of it go, and I had to go, God, I'm here. What do you want me to do now in this minute? How do you want me to carry forward? I'm here. I want to be used by you. And it started a process in me that would I wouldn't be where I am today without having gone through that. So for our listeners, even though the story sounds where we're leaving off with Joel, like it's not a perfect happy ending, that's the flesh part. That's the real life. And that's the fact that Meredith's story is not finished being written. But the gold in her life is what has been produced in her um, through this season. So like you said, you spent 15 years just, you know, in Bible studies, studying the Bible, going to church, but it really all began to bloom. All those seeds began to bloom during this season. And can you maybe share a scripture and or an encounter that you've had in the last little bit of time that has brought you to this place of just complete, you're, you're such a new creation. You're, you're, you're so confident and full of hope in the middle of these crazy circumstances. So could you share a little bit about that? 
I can. I mean, I, I, down at Dunklin, they, they start this, the process of journaling and hearing from the Lord through journaling and through the, through the Word, through the Bible. And, you know, everything is just very biblically based down there. It's, it's, um, it is. It's, it's just, it's, it's all about, you know, reading God's Word, journaling, and, and realizing that the God of the universe wants to speak to you directly, and He has a Word for you. And it's like, wow, God, really? You know, it's like I've known this for so many years. And I've heard this, but it really, you know, and I had obviously many, many encounters over 15 years that were special, you know, with the Lord and I, and I, and I've always loved journaling, but what God did in this season that was so unique is through the process of starting to journal, I remember, you know, I'd ask the Lord a question and when I did, there would be maybe a couple of words that would come up in a response, and I would say, oh, I know that scripture. And so I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's the scripture. That's the scripture. I'd look up that scripture because I was, you know, never one to be like, oh, you know, that's Psalms. You know, yeah, I, was, yeah. I don't know how to, you know, I don't, I'm not like that. I'm not like a memory bank like that. But all of those, all of, all of the Bible that was inside of me, I started to utilize that um, when I would journal. And then I started realizing, oh my goodness, this is how God is speaking to me individually and personally i'm writing these things on paper but he's i i'm i'm remembering you know the bible and i'm remembering what he's saying and it was so fresh and it was so new to me and when i realized wow you know the holy spirit is leading me it isn't you know he's inside me i am you know able to hear his voice and i'm able to you know, I know that no matter what goes on in this life and what choices people make or how things go or what situations look like, my God is right here with me, speaking to me, not just, you know, some unrealistic thing or some crazy word. No, I mean, it, it is a word for me in that moment, in that minute, and that's available to me. And it was just life-changing for me. Tell me maybe just a few Key things, like I, you had mentioned last night, just you, the ability to have boundaries and, and have hope and also some of the identity things. Just briefly wrap up with some of the, prom, the treasures for you that have made this season so beautiful and powerful, even though it's so hard. Well, I think for me, having lived a life of chaos, that's what I was used to. I, I, I fed off chaos, you know, I, I got my energy from, from all this stuff, from the freight train, from moving forward, and there was no peace there, and I was forging ahead in my own strength and my own ability, and I was going to make it happen no matter what, and I was tired, I was weary, and I wasn't getting any, any results, I mean, there was no peace, and now in my life, I realized that because the Lord is the most important person in my life, I am not going to align myself with chaos of any, you know, I'm just, when I start to realize things are getting chaotic or, you know, maybe Joel is, you know, choosing to, you know, go back and he, you know, is in his addiction and it's just a random Tuesday at three. Well, guess what? He's got to go then because I know that I cannot be there. I can't have that peace of the Lord and live in chaos at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So I spend my life really now just seeking that peace and creating stability for me and my children and the Lord, you know, doing that for us. And then I know that he's going to meet me there with the peace. 
And so now instead of loving people out of that um, really unhealthiness, I think now I'm able to just kind of pour out, you know, just even, you know, see such a change in my children through me just having that security and that peace in my own life and understanding who I am in the Lord and then just the overflow of that, you know, spilling out into my family has just been life changing. And I receive his love, you know, and I and I desire and I desire his presence and I and I want to be with him. And so that trumps everything else. And when he's first, everything else just falls into place. Well, Meredith, you have been such a blessing to me and all those who know you. And I just, it's my honor to share you with the world today. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jen. I had a great time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Meredith's journey. And I hope you have found encouragement through her story that applies and strengthens you and yours. Meredith has earned her B.A. in Business Administration from Flagler College, and by the time this podcast airs, she will have completed her Master's in Educational Leadership from the University of West Florida. More importantly to Meredith, she has enjoyed the blessings of restored relationship in many areas of her life. Her mother has been sober for six years, and Meredith has told me repeatedly how thankful she is to have her mom in her life and how grateful she is for her mother's support. I would also like to thank Joel, who has given us permission to tell the story as you have heard it. Just last week, Meredith reported that Joel is at a treatment facility in Louisiana, and in her own words, she stated that he is submitting to the Lord and doing really well. I am hopeful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. For pictures and show notes from today's podcast, please visit fleshandgold.com. To contact us with comments or questions, please email me at fleshandgold at gmail.com, subject Meredith. This is Jen Beatty, and you have been listening to Flesh and Gold. Mm-hmm.